was reflecting on the fact that it was the uh, 22nd or 21st anniversary of my first trip to Old Trafford on New Year's Day and uh, it's fair to say that the, the loss against Tottenham was less disastrous than the loss against the London club that we played uh, on that particular day because at least Tottenham didn't beat us 4-1 Yes, very true but still a fourth home loss of the season No side has won the Premier League having lost four home games there you go we're going to win the Premier League obviously since Moyes is breaking records left right and centre at the moment yeah not the good kind right I I guess let's uh, look back at the game against Norwich now you saw the first half of the Tottenham game I saw the second half of the Norwich game so we're going to have to help each other here Uh, what was the first half of the Norwich game like? abysmal Uh, In fact, the whole 90 minutes of the Norwich game was abysmal. United were ponderous in midfield, slow in the break, seemed to create no good chances. Well, you know, the the occasional good chance. Uh, It was one of those really frustrating Manchester United performances. I mean, uh, United actually had more of the ball, which anecdotally, just thinking about it, didn't feel like it was the case against uh, Norwich, but did have more of the ball, but created very few chances with it. Very, very few. And Norwich were, you've got to say, unlucky because uh, although they had less possession than United, they managed to create a lot of chances. Uh, and uh, had it not been for the poor quality of finishing, then they might well have won that game. So apart from sort of fatigue and injuries, what did you put down the ponderousness of United to? What would I put it down to? The Christmas spirit, maybe? I mean, uh, had they drunk a little bit too much over the Christmas period? I, I don't know. Not honestly, seriously, it was just another ponderous performance from United. We've seen so many of them this year, this season. So, uh, well, this year, in fact, 100% record of poor performances this year. But this season, just not great and extremely lucky for the goal. I mean, the ball was bouncing all over the place before Welbeck scored, but a fine finish. And I mean, the man can't stop scoring at the moment. He's uh, becoming the striker you believe him to be. Yeah, absolutely. It was lucky, but he definitely made his own luck with some fantastic pressing. He'll do that, will Danny? Uh, it was interesting because I kind of missed almost all of that game. I just walked in the, the door and Danny Welbeck scored. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> if only football was always like that. Shinji Kagawa coming in for an awful lot of stick from United fans. What do we think of that? Was he as bad as everyone's saying in that game? problem he's having at the moment is he's really struggling to influence games and given that we all ask for him to be playing in a more central position when he does he's got to be successful with it and he's not been you know and it's really hard to say he's having the kind of impact we'd like to we've defended him a lot on this show haven't we we've said that he's played out of position that he can't get the ball enough when he's in that kind of left wing position especially when he's got those defensive responsibilities that he doesn't always have at say international level we can complain about him not being used in the right way certainly he doesn't get enough of the ball given that his movement is one of his better traits so it's not the fact that he's getting in, not getting into the right positions he's, he's just he's not influencing the game enough at the moment you know so it is true United aren't playing through him we're not using him as a playmaker but this team doesn't play like this United under David Moyes are a lot more direct and so maybe that's not playing into Kagawa's strengths but at the same time he's he's not influencing the game in the way we'd like to perhaps if he was he would find himself getting the ball more often you know and true United do play down the wings far more often than would have been the case say at Dortmund where especially in the the break on the transition they played through him and it's just not happening for him at the moment which is a real shame because we want him to be successful and if he's not successful in this period you've got to say that he's probably likely to leave next summer I mean uh, I can't see a player of Kagawa's quality really wanting to sit around on United's bench no and I think a lot of the people that have written him off I I think that's very unfair and I, I, I don't generally like sentences that say if Twitter was around when but I'm sure that Twitter would have had strong thoughts about Juan Sebastian Veron 
I mean, I think it's pretty self-evident with Kagawa that it's not about quality. And, and one of the things is it, it's it's got to be very difficult for professional sports people to flit in and out of the team and not always be selected and then be sort of demanded that they perform at a high level when they are selected, you know. One other thing I'd say is that Norwich, you know, they worked extremely hard and uh, they managed to close United down in midfield areas. And after the game, uh, Chris Hewton said that they were magnificent. And, you know, that sounds like a bit of a Brentism, doesn't it, given that they lost the game? But I thought they played really well. You know, it's it's hard not to admit that Norwich had put in a really good effort against United in that game, you know, both in terms of the work rate and their quality uh, when they had the ball, given that this is a side that has been struggling of late. Right, they didn't look like a side devoid of confidence. Although, having said that, after United scored, it didn't look like United were about to concede either. No, but the, just watching match today highlights, it certainly looked like Norwich had more than their fair share of chances to make United pay, and they didn't succeed in doing that. Unlike Tottenham Hotspur, who've beaten us at home for the second year in a row. This is a, a record Moyes couldn't break himself because Fergie decided to let him off that one by losing last season. Slightly less forgivable this time round, given the nature of the injuries and stuff that we had in the side against Spurs that game uh, last year. But this time round, just absolutely abject defending. Moyes saying in his post-match interview, we didn't deserve to be behind at any point. And I just really got my goat that did when he said that, because you can say we deserved a point out of that game. You could even stretch it and say we deserve to win that game. But what you cannot say is that we didn't deserve to be behind at any point, because you defend like that, you deserve to be behind. Well, quite, you know, football is in the details. What did he mean by that? Did he mean because United had two thirds of the possession, which which is true, you know, United did have two thirds of the possession and created quite a lot of chances as well with it. So if you're going to look at it like that, then I suppose so. And, and in fact, United had a very strong start and a strong end to that game. It started pretty brightly. And after the United goal was scored, really pushed hard to get an equaliser. Although I'd have to say a lot of that was hit and hope. So, yeah, sure, strong beginning, strong end, a uh, lot of possession. But in truth, if you make mistakes, you are going to lose games. Uh, and that's what United are doing. And yeah, some pretty basic goals scored by Spurs. But look, one thing you want to say about Tottenham is they got rewarded for their bravery. Came and played a 4 4 2 at Old Trafford with Ericsson and Dembele in the centre of midfield. Brave decision to start with. Adebayor and Soldado, uh, you might say they're quite similar as players starting up front. You know, a whole bunch of attacking players in there. Lennon on the right hand side as well. You know, Danny Rose at left back, who's basically a winger, really. So they got rewarded for coming to Old Trafford and believing that they were going to win. And you can't argue with that, right? No, absolutely. And, you know, nice for a while, but to get another goal. But even though there was a lot of endeavour, there were a lot of kind of missed chances, almost nearly moments. I think the referee had a poor game. That was my take on it. I'm not a, an expert on refereeing by any stretch of the imagination, but there were a lot of decisions which looked pretty crazy to me. I mean, Moyes was absolutely fuming about the penalty decision on Ashley Young, but I don't think you can fume about penalty decisions on Ashley Young because if he's not given ones he's entitled to get, well, he just knocked that off the ones he's got that he wasn't entitled to get, right? Yeah, but the thing is, and and, and what Moyes said about that one was, uh, which was, I thought the most telling bit, if that was in another area of the pitch, you would get the decision for the follow through. But I have to say, whenever a striker shoots, or in this case, knocks the ball past the keeper, and the follow through takes the man, it's never given. Because effectively, the player's no longer in control of the ball. I don't actually think Young was in control of the ball. You know, you can say Webb had a 
poor game and I think in many respects he did but that one's still debatable for me I don't think that was really obvious uh, as a definite penalty and in any case you know most of United's undoing was United's fault right I mean, you know what we're we talking about here we there could have been a penalty maybe we'd have got back into the game yeah maybe uh, and maybe not ifs and maybes and coulda shoulda uh, isn't that for teams that are kind of average and you know luck is not always against you uh, which appears to be the excuse at the moment and um, you know too often uh, and it's not that United are being unlucky it's just United aren't being very good no I mean you know we beat Hull and Norwich and we're probably quite lucky to win both of those games it could have easily broken the other way couldn't it both those games I think if we reflect on the Christmas period as a whole we've got a lot of points out of this period there's a little glimpse of hope in the in the game against West Ham where we actually looked really efficient and pretty good. But that was the last time we played well and that was one, two, three, that was yeah, three whole games since then. And we haven't played well in any of them. And the great David Moyes Manchester United experiment is going pretty disastrously as here we are in January, seventh in the table, somewhat dispirited looking bunch of players yeah well the, the worst first half of the season since 1960 something wasn't it so look the big problem at uh, United really haven't performed uh, to any level against the better sides I'm mean, the Arsenal game but you'd have to say if you were being honest about that one that we caught Arsenal on a bad day Absolutely. we played in a system designed to uh, maximise Arsenal's difficulty, you know, that closing them down fairly robust fashion, and it's a it's a it's a system that has done well against Arsenal in in previous years. But Arsenal also played very badly in the other games against the top teams. United just haven't performed. So you know, they're absolutely smashed by City. Very poor quality game against Chelsea at home. Lost to Liverpool. Lost to Spurs. Now, of course, this is a Spurs side that have just been smashed six and five by City and Liverpool. So it's it's a very very poor record against the top sides at the moment and we said what a month or six weeks ago that December was going to be really important because uh, we were playing a lot of sides below United in the table you know hey ho got a lot of points against teams that uh, were down the table I don't think we actually played anyone above 13th did we Uh, and and so you'd kind of expect that suddenly play a decent side who are prepared to attack United and be brave about it and uh, the side struggles again and you know I've got to say seventh is not at the moment in terms of how United have played this season. Seventh is about right. Yeah, the table isn't lying there. We've not been terribly unlucky. The gods have not been against us and referees aren't cheating us out of points. Uh, I'm not having any of those as an excuse. I think 34 points out of uh, 20 games is about par for how United have performed this season. And, and that equates to less than 70 points for the season as a whole if we carry on like this. And that includes the 12-match unbeaten run, right? Unless there's something dramatic happens, United are not favourites to take fourth place at the moment. And that doesn't look good at all. 11 points behind Arsenal. A couple of games ago, we were thinking, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's down to five at one stage and, and then eight. Maybe a title run was in the offing, but I don't think so. I, I, I think, especially with the way Manchester City are playing at the moment, that City are favourites for the title. United are a long way long way off that it would take a significant improvement in performance and, and a couple of teams to fail at the top at the same time which rarely happens uh, and then to make fourth it's still going to have to be a good second half of the season yeah absolutely we've had a question from at mckee underscore mark van percy's beard on twitter well, i think this is an interesting question kind of relevant to the discussion at this point and and it's whose fault is it our failings this season is it Moyes? is it the players is it glazers is it all of them and i, I guess i think i would want to add is it somewhat fergie's fault as well right yeah i think part of all of it and one 
Ferguson left a squad that wasn't the strongest. Uh, we knew that anyway, and, and we repeatedly talked last season that Ferguson had managed to squeeze more out of that squad than perhaps anyone else could. Uh, we'd, we'd sort of half-jokingly said if he'd taken the Arsenal side of last season, the one that finished fourth, uh, he might have won the title with it. That's the force of, you know, force majeure that is Ferguson. Maybe, because he, you know, he managed to take what is the seventh best side this season and win the title with them last season. That might be a commentary on David Moyes, who of course is the main Major change in Moyes and Moyes' coaches were a significant amount of disruption when we talked about Moyes being the continuity candidate because he certainly wasn't the CV candidate. This is not the guy with the best record anywhere. He's never won anything. He's taken a mid-ranked club and he kept them mid-ranked for 10 years. So he he wasn't the actual choice in terms of having won trophies. Uh, He was the continuity candidate. But unfortunately, the only continuity that he allowed was his Scottishness. And then it's the Glazers' fault for not investing in the sides. You know, £27 million spent on Fellaini. But, yeah, I think everyone recognises that was way too much to spend on Fellaini. He wasn't a £27 million player. He's a squad player at best for United. Uh, And so, effectively, we got a side that, in many regards is ageing, lost a player in Paul's goals, albeit he didn't play much last season, but Vidic and Ferdinand have definitely gone backwards this season. Uh, So we've got a squad that wasn't the best and has degraded and wasn't improved over the summer. And so everyone takes a share of the blame. And then I I think that, you know, the uh, the players take some share of responsibility because they're professionals and they're not performing to the standards which they're capable of but really when that happens of course there's a a question of personal responsibility but then there is also the question of management this ongoing rumbling about training it's clearly not the the same level of kind of contented dressing room that it was when we were winning everything inside the the leaks coming out of it you know Rio saying in his little video diary that it was making him turning him to a madman not knowing whether he was playing or not you know these are things that just wouldn't have happened and and some of that's the player's responsibility for not indulging in those types of behaviours but the other is that the management and the management team you know Moyes is not working at United it's too soon to say whether he will work at United but he's not working now he's not getting the team to play as he wants them to play he's trying to enforce a system on players that that are too good for the system he's trying to enforce on them and not good enough at the things they need to be good at for the system to work. I mean, to take it down to its most basic level, a huge part of Moyes' attacking philosophy is based on crossing and we've barely got a player who can cross the ball in the United squad. Yeah, well, and unfortunately that's translated itself into lumping it or, to, to give it its technical term, crosses from wide, deep areas, which is basically hit and hope, you know, because the percentage of success with that type of ball is very small. You're lumping it in the box and hoping your big man will knock it in. Uh, except United don't have a big man. You know, we almost might as well play Fellaini up front if we're going to play with that kind of system because if you're going to play hit and hope you might as well have a big man in there uh, I have to say at times it's a bit agricultural the way United have played now, you know we're not a hoofball side but we're definitely a long long way from some kind of tiki tacker prettiness and I think a long long way from the swashbuckling style of United in the late 90s early 2000s and of course United uh, transitioned into a slightly more conservative 
type team, possession-based team, under Ferguson in the later years. But it still was a possession-based team. This team does not love the ball. You know, even when we have more possession, a lot of it is not not used in a very good fashion. Right, a, a lot of sideways balls, and that tells me that there isn't enough movement up front. And then a lot of hopeful balls from wide areas, which isn't causing any damage at all. There's a couple of interesting things back from that Spurs game. Uh, first of all, there's a really unpleasant thing to talk about, which is the crowd in the Stretford End chanting, we all hate Jews. I was like, really unfortunate and then somebody tried to stop them and was kind of just roundly abused and told that that wasn't racist and all this stuff and there's obviously I don't particularly want to get into the Quinnell stuff unless you do Ed but it's like very upsetting the level of acceptable anti-semitism and even people playing FIFA don't think twice about calling uh, that thing that some people call it a sweaty goal but loads of people call it a Jew goal I'm sure that's like completely unconscious and there's no hatred intended but you're basically using hate speak if you do that you know Um, but anyway so that's really upsetting and nasty chance about Adeboyo as well and just like leave it out you know (laughs) leave it out stop it I'm sure probably not too many people that are regular listeners to this podcast do stuff like that anyway because they'd been sick of us years ago if they if they were but uh Yes, well, after our complaint about whether you can say Christmas or not last week, <laughs> yeah. I had a bunch of people uh, you know, attempting to start a right versus left American politics debate, which I'm always happy to do, I have to say. Spent spent uh, Christmas uh, and New Year in the States. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time there. But look, uh, I don't think we can avoid this as a topic of conversation, I'm afraid, just uh, because it's, it's uh, important at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think some of the chanting from the Stretford end was unacceptable. And I think it's uh, important to say that because uh, we've been very critical of other fans. Uh, I don't think the chants about Adebayor are acceptable at all. You know, why is this funny? It's not. Uh, why Why do we uh, think we're being clever? We're not being. Uh, but United fans, as we've praised them many times on this show, need to be the class of United fans that we really want. You know, especially if we're going to try and take a high horse and, and United fans are very wont to do that. And then the um, the chance about Tottenham and their religious affiliations is unacceptable as well. And I've been at Old Trafford with hissing sounds. Not very often, but I've definitely heard it. And I don't like that either. I don't think that's acceptable. Uh, and then to segue into the Quinnell debate, uh, I don't think we can avoid this one. You know, people are accusing me of being anti-Manchester City because I commented on on Nasri on Twitter. It's, it's really nothing about the club. Uh, I'm afraid this gesture is created by a comic. I lose this, use this term in a very loose way. Of course, you know, Dedune Mbala Mbala, who is basically a right-wing anti-Semite. He's been very clear. It doesn't take a lot of research to work this one out, so I'm going to let everyone else do that on their own. But he has said things of the nature of, isn't it a pity the gas chambers don't exist anymore? He's a, a right-wing zealot who believes that there is some kind of zionist jewish cabal running the world and when they talk about anti-establishment gestures what they really mean is anti-jewish and um you know i think we need to be really clear about that i have no religious affiliation uh, so I, I feel quite comfortable talking about that. You know, sometimes when we've talked about race on this show, you know, I'm a white middle class guy, basically. And it, it feels somewhat hypocritical talking about racism when we don't suffer it. 
Uh, and I have no religious affiliation here, but I don't think this is acceptable at all. It's quite obvious what this is about. Uh, maybe Nicholas and Nelka and Sami Nasri are too stupid to understand what they're doing. Maybe, maybe they're just following a trend. But I don't think they'd be so stupid if they just do a little bit of basic internet research and work out why people are doing this in front of synagogues, Jewish museums, at Auschwitz, for God's sake. This is not about some kind of anti-establishment movement. This is uh, anti-Semitic movement. I mean, you cut it out. And I'm hoping that Nicholas and Nelka gets a very long ban. There is a precedent here. Suarez claimed that he didn't know what he did was racist, but I don't care whether Nicholas Anelka thinks this is right or wrong. It's wrong, and he should be punished accordingly. Yeah, uh, I agree with all that. It's a difficult subject for my family, <laughs> the, this this the whole subject, and, and it, you know, it, it's very scary. Uh, the rise of anti-Semitism, say rise, never really goes anywhere anti-semitism much like racism never goes anywhere you know we live in a world riven by divisions and it's very sad that that's the case but it, it clearly is and you know the Anelka thing was incredibly upsetting to to see it happen and of course like I'm not well educated about what's going on in French politics and so most of what I know about this I know since it happened and retrospectively it's such a horrific thing to associate yourself with and you know to say it was just a gesture of support for my friend well you know if if it should get some different friends <laughs> yeah, I think if my friend was arrested for murder because he, and he had done it I wouldn't be doing public justice of support for him you know so anyway yeah so look we do, I don't think we actually need to debate whether this is right or wrong it's wrong and those people suggesting otherwise are just they're just being dumb, really. You're either supporting this as an anti-Semitic gesture or you're too stupid to work out what's actually being done here. Either way, I don't think, you know, we need to brook a debate about this one. Unfortunately, West Brom have done a Liverpool here and come out in strong support of their player. Although, quickly afterwards, Nelka said he'd never do it again. It was one of those pathetic sorries, yeah. which was... I didn't realise this was wrong. I don't think it was wrong. But if anyone was offended, really sorry, mate. You know, not good enough. Really not good enough at all. And, yeah. and uh, Sammy and Nasri went uh, one step yeah. further um, and attempted to justify himself. You know, and I know wealth and status and money doesn't equate to establishment. Although in a capitalist society, you might say it does. But, you know, Sammy and Nasri, who earns £8 million a year, lives in... a massive mansion in Alderley Edge doesn't get to talk about the establishment and what's wrong with it I'm afraid and so I don't buy that at all I think he's I think he's probably just too stupid to know what he's doing um, but doesn't make it any better oh right okay let's uh, move on to something that might be more cheerful although there's a slightly unfortunate aspect of all this too Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the heir apparent to David Moyes. <laughs> Don't know if anyone else thinks this. I've been fairly convinced that he would be a better choice than David for quite some time. But anyway, mm, he's got a question his uh, decision making skills now, though, haven't you? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so lots of defence along the lines of, you know, well, he's in an, a no a no lose situation because if it goes well, he'll be praised. And if it goes badly, everyone will blame the, the crazy owner. And I think, well... I'm not sure you can really have that because it's not like he went into the situation not knowing exactly what was going on. He he said in his press conference yesterday, I'm going into this situation with my eyes open. It was fairly clearly a coded, not uh, not very coded message. But man, the cut of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's jib is absolutely world class. Like, because I was, I was really a bit like, what are you doing, Ole? You know, are you participating in this kind of horrific farce that is Cardiff City and, and their ownership? 
two minutes of listening to him talk about it and I'm like, all right, fair enough. Go on, you could do it. You'll do a good job, lad. Well, look, I'm sure he will do a good job. I think he's a very intelligent guy and he says all the right things. He's uh, Everyone in Norway says, yes, he's still a quiet guy as a manager, but he's very firm with what he wants and he's very clear with the players and, and uh, you listen to the Mulder players talking about him and they're obviously in awe of him and as a manager, not just because of his status in world football and as a Manchester United legend. But, you know, I think he will do a good job. He's he's throwing himself into a very difficult situation. He, he turned down previous jobs in England because they were too difficult. So he turned down Aston Villa, presumably because he knew he wouldn't get any money. So Lambert took that one and, and he's trying to do a job in very difficult circumstances at Aston Villa and reducing the wage budget. Solskjaer will have less of a wage problem. Uh, it looks like he's going to get substantial funds, both in the transfer market and, and in wages to do a job there. But he has an owner who's a maverick who will potentially try and interfere and may not be very patient you know he he wants success immediately at Cardiff and we know even if you throw some money at it it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that he's going to get the level of success that the owner wants and then there's the fact that the owner is very disassociated from the fans and that's going to make it difficult for Ollie to play the politics there because he's going to have to play both the fans and the owner at the same time but he seems a very smart guy and maybe be able to do that I have to say I do question his decision making though because it doesn't feel like this is the perfect job for him and the maybe he just got tired of waiting for the perfect job and this was enough there was enough in the pros column of this one yeah and he wanted to move back to england and he's at a club in Mulder who he won two league championships with a club that never won the league championship before difficult third season there but they still won a cup so perhaps he feels that he can achieve no more with that side you know it's probably true he can probably achieve no more so moving back to England makes a lot of sense in terms of the career progression. He's got a Premier League job. Um, I think that's good for him rather than taking something in the Championship, which is a difficult place to work. But he's not taken on the perfect job. You know, he was never going to get a job at the top four because he's unproven. But he, he's taking on a job with a, an owner that is very difficult, but very ambitious. So there's lots of opportunity there too. So you described Vincent Tan as a maverick earlier, which I think is extraordinarily kind as a description. I think I might have described him as a nutter on the previous show. So, yeah. And in yeah. fact, I, I said before Ollie had taken the job on Twitter that uh, uh, that if Ollie takes the job, he'll be as big a nutter as the owner. So we'll, we'll see. Rankcast listener Flat Cat Sam, we swap emails about Ollie uh, occasionally, and he says, no, it's, it's perfect training ground for him to learn how to deal with terrible owners before taking taking over the job so yeah he's gonna get good at playing politics between the fans and the bad owners that are unpopular with the fans well yeah i didn't know you had a, a pen pal there paul you're swapping love letters with the fans <laughs> no just you know just love they're really if they're love letters they're love letters about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. so you know i think that's completely acceptable uh, all right one of my genuine sporting heroes ollie is uh, talking of the listeners should we should we do a couple of questions let's do so at the underscore broomhead winner of the famous Bebe 7 shirt says is it okay to actually enjoy us being rubbish and I was thinking about this I was thinking there's something sort of fun about us being like a normal team again but it's just a bit I, what I don't really like is the sort of style of the rubbishness if, if we were sort of glorious failures that would be oh I guess we were playing like a 1-9 uh, the other day against uh, against Spurs by the end of the game but there's something just slightly inglorious about the amount of hoofball we're playing that makes me unable to enjoy it being a bit of a cynic by nature Cynic, not negative, uh, those of you that do not know the difference between this. <laughs> Being a bit of a cynic, I can kind of have some 
gallows humour about what's happening at United, you know. And I've never found it that troubling to have a a kind of honest, objective viewpoint about football anyway. You know, I'm passionate about the club, but I think it's it's, uh, okay to step back and say we're not very good when we're not very good or we're brilliant when we're brilliant. So, so there's that bit. I, I don't think I enjoy United playing badly. You know, definitely not. And uh, you know, it's it's really hard to enjoy what is happening uh, to the club because all of it seems very negative at the moment. You know, in time, maybe we'll be wrong about this period because uh, there's certainly been other times in recent memory that felt very negative too. You know, 2002 to 2005 period, for example, felt particularly bad. But this does feel very bad. The football that's being played is very poor of very poor quality and the results aren't coming either and it's hard to warm to the manager as well so you know all of those things kind of are in the negative column I think the thing is, 2002 and 2005 is kind of a perfect analogy, really, because the football's kind of negative, it's not particularly high quality, and it's a bit hard to warm to the manager, because it, it certainly was at that period of time. And then there's the same ray of hope, like young Ronaldo was the, the, the ray of hope through that period, and now Adnan Yanazai is going to be scoring 60 goals a season in three years' time, and that'll be... Yeah, and- Hopefully he won't leave to go to Real Madrid immediately afterwards. But Talking of young players, at Aid Fletcher says, of the young lads who have left in the not-too-distant past, who would you most like us to have kept out of Piquet, Pogba, Rossi and Ravel? Well, right now, Pogba is is the man that's really performing at the very highest level. I mean, he's been outstanding for uh, Juve this season. Uh, interesting to see United link with Arturo Vidal again this week would be a fine purchase. Although I think having kept Pogba would be a finer one. But um, so he he's the man that's playing at the highest level of of that lot. Of course, it, you know it's great to see Ravel back and playing in the big time. He's doing very well, and and maybe maybe he's still an outside shot for the the World Cup. You know, there's there's quite a lot of talk about him moving because of the clauses is in his contract um his wages go up significantly uh, by well if, if a bid comes in his wages come out, go up significantly it's a bit of an odd odd clause that one I don't think I've seen that one too many times in other players contracts PK of course have been an outstanding servant for Barca in their outstanding side over the last five years yeah I, I think my answer would be Pogba really it's kind of the obvious one isn't it I mean I've got a I've got a lot of love for the way Ravel plays in, in a way like my answer would be Ravel but there's a load of caveats to it being like if it had been the right thing for him to stay at the club that would have been brilliant you know that would have been a really positive outcome for what was a very difficult time uh, so I kind of wish it had all worked out for Ravel in a smoother way more than I wish that Pogba had stayed for the kind of football side of it but yeah Pogba uh, Rossi, though, always nice to see Joe Red doing well, isn't it, Ed? And he's scoring a lot of goals at Fiorentina now, you know. He, he did very well at Villarreal for a few years, had a very bad injury, so spent about a year on the sidelines and then got a transfer to Fiorentina and is, is scoring bags and goals. He'll go to the World Cup with Italy for sure, you know. Great, great to see him doing well. Anyway, we have two games coming up and both cup games. So it's nice to have a distraction from the difficulties of the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Although the, the wins sort of feel a bit meaningless if you don't get points from them. I don't know. I've, I've been completely de-romanticised from cup football. Well, I think some good games coming up. Yeah, United at home to Swansea on Sunday in the FA Cup. Amazing if you if you look at United's draws over the year in the FA Cup, how many Premier League sides United play, especially in the early rounds. Yeah, my friend at Joe Diego working out that we run over 100% above expectation at drawing a top flight side in the third round of the FA Cup. There you go. 
Nice statistic, yeah. It's those evil bosses at the FA conspiring against us, of course. The Fergie Association. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, where there are the Gloominati when you really need them, retired, unfortunately. Uh, so Swansea and, and uh, this would be a nice game. I mean, Swansea clearly will play us off the park, but uh, maybe Plucky United will get a, a, a cup win, you know. It's the magic of the cup. You never know what will happen on the day. <laughs> yeah, uh, Moises boys go in as underdogs against the... Uh, well, no, actually, like Swansea really not not doing great are they? they they've definitely struggled a bit this season and i mean allowed trips to sort of change the style a bit not quite as philosophically devoted to tiki tack as they were a couple of seasons ago but they do play some nice stuff and actually they gave city a sort of scare at the weekend in the the game that didier haman on match of the day w- was moved to comment that yaya toure was a liability for manchester city <laughs> hey we'll take that liability off your hands no problem yes um i, I agree with you swansea have transitioned under loud i mean they do still play good football but they'll make it up a little bit more than they're used to I don't think they certainly haven't gone from playing nice football to hoofing it or anything like that uh, no they've not they've not done a United no they, they, yes we can just call it a United but they've been conceding too many goals uh, and that's a real problem for them and they've conceded some quite a few goals in big games as well and part of the reason they transitioned is is they they brought Boney in who hasn't scored the goals that they would have liked either you know he's he's a he's a speed merchant he likes the ball in front of him he's powerful I think he could do really well in the Premier League he just hasn't quite done it yet uh, and and Mitchu's been in and out because he's been injured uh, yeah just on the boning point he scored two goals in his last game so you know it's it's maybe starting to happen for him but yeah I mean I, I think we'll win this game I think Danny Welbeck will score can you believe that that's my prediction Ed? it's just unbelievable isn't it well you've been predicting that even when he got one goal all season last year right now he's got what four in five in the last six games yeah. He? Yeah, he's, yeah, uh, yeah he's scoring for fun he's old Danny which is nice. that's some really nice goals we didn't comment on it earlier but the goal oh. uh, scored against Spurs was an absolute peach beautiful ball from Yanazai I mean just showing his all round I mean there's nothing this kid can't do uh, and another lovely dinked finish from Welbeck I mean I have to say that all joking aside the absolute bright spark of this season has been seeing Yanazai and Welbeck both playing so well because they're you know they work fantastically well together they're both products of the youth team and, and you know it's that whole thing of like the Barcelona system bringing through players that can play together because they've played in a system for many years and you know that Mühlenstein you know Joyce since they they really have and Solskjaer they've they've put in place a system right you know the United youth team has produced really technically adept players and they work well together even Tom Cleverley not performing exactly great by any stretch of the imagination but he looks better when interchanging with Welbeck and Yanazai. Well yes I mean I wouldn't say Welbeck and Yanazai have really grown up together but I mean there's, there's certainly more of a no, yeah, no, sure, there's, the there's system. more of a coherent system at United's academy and under 21 sides than there is in the first team <laughs> uh, that's for sure. and, and that's nothing to do with results per se it's just that because there is some continuity at those levels as well. So look, I, I don't think it'll necessarily be um, the toughest game United will face this season, although I expect Moyes will rotate, so we, we could see quite a few changes uh, for this game and the Sunderland Capital One Cup game coming up. For Swansea, well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, in theory, they're kind of flirting with relegation. They're not that many points above the relegation zone. They're uh, underperforming uh, you know, against uh, the, their performance of last season. So they desperately need some points. Laudrup's beginning to feel like he's under a little bit of pressure. Not loads, you know. They're, they're not um, not right in the relegation zone yet, but they do need Premier League points. Uh, so the Cup is a distraction and perhaps not in a good way for them. 
having said that you know the FA Cup is one of those tournaments that Swansea can go after because a lot of the big teams will rest players in the early rounds uh, and so it's an opportunity you know look Wigan won it last season why couldn't Swansea it's an opportunity for silverware what I guess I'm saying is it's hard to call this one I think United will make quite a few changes Swansea might make a few although I think it's in their interest to perhaps make less and I think they'll give United a good game they do keep the ball well even if they have changed their style a little bit and you know it's a big day out for what I assume will be a lot of away fans I might have some interesting decisions in terms of priorities. I mean, we play Swansea again next weekend. So weird thing where two home games in a row against the same side. But in between that, we go to Sunderland for, you know, the first leg of a semi-final. Uh, Moyes' season definitely looks better if there's silverware in it. And Most so certainly. you wonder whether he's going to actually... <laughs> I mean, this is really ignoble, isn't it, for United? But prioritise the League Cup. Oh, Christ. Things really are getting bad. Well, look, the funny thing is, you know, we can make fun of that, but actually Ferguson, when United got to the League Cup, played pretty strong sides in the semi-final. I remember those two games against Manchester City a few years back. So it wouldn't be so bad for United to put out a strong side on Wednesday and make sure we get a lead or something approaching it at Sunderland. That wouldn't be bad at all. I mean, given that Sunderland are absolutely abysmal at the moment, bottom of the league, looking like relegation is an absolute certainty that the League Cup is certainly not important for them. So they may well rest players because the league is definitely the most important thing for Sunderland. Uh, And, you know, this is a good opportunity for United to go out there and put themselves a final, which could well be against Manchester City, of course. You know, this is going to make a massive difference in the narrative of David Moyes' season. You know, he can't win the Capital One Cup and then fail to qualify for the Champions League and call it a good season. Not by any means, right? But if United qualify for the Champions League assuming that we're saying that the Premier League is out of of sight now, uh, and then win the Capital One Cup and put in a decent performance in Europe, then then the narrative changes quite a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So if you had to predict which of these two games is more likely to see an appearance from Alex Bootner, you'd say the FA Cup third round, yeah? I think he'll definitely play on on Sunday. I'm sure he might even play in both of them, given that Everett um, probably needs a rest. I mean, it's worth, you know, using him in the right way, isn't it? Given his age uh, and the way that they use the fullbacks at United this <laughs> the way The way Everett, like, is being used this season is mostly, like, stand near the opposition box on the left-hand side. Well, right, yeah. Auxiliary winger, isn't he? As as for the Sunderland game, you know, they're playing just abysmal football. I, I know they went to Everton and won, which was a bit of a surprise given that Everton are playing some good football. But the rest of it from Sunderland is terrible. A dire performance against Aston Villa at the weekend, against a dire team, of course. Just nothing is going right. They don't score any goals. They concede way too many. They're a tactical mess, even with Poyet there now. I'm sure they're going to get relegated. You know, 14 points. Um, past the halfway stage of the season uh, almost certainly down you know they, it's almost so bad that they should just start planning for next season now trying to work out who they can offload uh, who, who they need for a shot at the championship so I you know I, I think given all the priorities uh, I think they'll still they have to put a fight up in the Premier League so they'll, they'll probably make some uh, changes at the weekend it's a good sorry midweek and it's a good chance for United I mean I think it's slightly different the, the League Cup semi-final to kind of rest players for the Premier League because there's a maximum of three games left and it's all over by February, right? The final's in Feb. So you've got all of March, April and May to focus on the Premier League. It's not like the FA Cup later stages which really mix up the the run-in if you're still involved. So I don't know how many... I think Sunderland will be a pretty strong side. They're not very good. (laughs) They're they're, they're terrible. But I think they'll put out a fairly strong lineup because, you know, for Gus Poyet, he'll 
want the season not to be a disaster and a trip to Wembley will offset the pain of relegation uh, funny funny how much that happens recently isn't it well yeah I mean like Sunderland uh, their big players have to play so um, you know or have to play well for them to have a chance against United and Fletcher just not scoring I mean he was a you know had a couple of very good seasons didn't he Altidore forget it he's never been very good anyway Barini on loan from Liverpool not doing well had a very strange incident where they rushed him off to hospital the other week I mean, Larson, I assume, will play. He was on the bench uh, at the weekend against Aston Villa. You know, he can cause damage from set pieces. The rest of it's terrible. I mean, uh, Wes Brown is having a good season when he's not suspended. And uh, he's showing what a good player he is when he's fit uh, and not getting red cards, of which there have been a few. Uh, Some more unlucky than others. Uh, I don't believe O'Shea's fit at the moment, is he? Uh, And and, uh, another red, Bardsley, is played. But, you know, this is in a back four that he's not playing very well. No, uh, Fletcher two in two. So your your run on strikers who are not scoring enough this season is also two for two of people who have just started scoring. But you're right; he's it's taken him so long to get going, hasn't it? And he look, he looks. It's weird. Strikers are weird, man. Christian Benteke has completely given up scoring goals when he couldn't stop before. Yes, but but he doesn't have a new contract to negotiate now. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Um, all right, all right, we need to finish, right? So uh, predictions, Ed? I think United going to win twice. There you go. Yeah, me too. Uh, and after the disappointment of Tottenham, disappointment the right word, the abject <laughs> failure against Tottenham uh, and the disappointing performance against Norwich, although the result was good, I, I think United will win. So let, let's call it a cup cracker and say United will win 3-2 against uh, Swansea uh, and uh, sneak a 1-0 win away at Sunderland. All right, I'm not sure we've got three goals in us, but I'm going to go for a 2-1-0 wins on the bounce, grinding it out, Moisey style. Very nice, very nice. Well, let's hope so. You know, certainly need a more positive week than the past week and uh, the distraction of the cup is 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 good i guess before the real thing starts against swansea again next weekend absolutely and we'll see you before that if you've enjoyed the show please let us know you can get me on twitter at utd rantcast you can get ed at united rant get us both on uh, facebook.com slash united rant and leave a comment on the show page at unitedrant.co.uk and what would be extremely helpful is if you could uh, rate us and review us on itunes it just takes a couple of minutes and if like 50 people listening to this were to do that this week we'd shoot up the iTunes charts which is awesome so uh, if you if you would be so kind as to take the time out to do that that'd be much appreciated right and and maybe the show slogan on our show homepage uh, of uh, the uh, planet's favourite Manchester United podcast will actually come true if you do that <laughs> yes maybe so that was a bit like we might need to change that Ed <laughs> it's my, I'm not sure if it's mathematically accurate or not. Oh, I don't know. Do you, do you know the, the, the data? No. So no. It might no, be. It, it, might it be. could be true. The Rantcast, potentially the planet's favourite Manchester United podcast. All right. Well, uh, in the meantime, uh, have a very good week. Let's hope there's two good performances against Swansea and Sunderland. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.